welcome to another edition of Sounds Japanese Canadian to Me with me, Alexis Jensen. And me, Raymond Nakamura. And today we are talking about registration cards. So, registration cards sounds like a, a very general thing, like uh, if you're going to the community center or something and you have a registration card or something like that. This, this was specifically the one that was issued to Japanese Canadians, people of Japanese descent in Canada uh, in 1941. Yes, before Pearl Harbor. Right. And that's an interesting thing because you might think that the registration was a result of Pearl Harbor and they were required after Pearl Harbor to have them, but the process that actually started before that. Yes. But first, we're going to talk about what they look like. How many of them are there in the collection? I think we have about 12. 12. So we have a couple here that we're looking at and you have the front side of one. I do. And who it is, is Lily Hamaguchi Yano, and her Japanese name was Reiko. And so on the front of it, it shows like a tiny black and white passport type image of her in the corner. It is cream colored. It's the size of a, a driver's license, maybe slightly bigger. And above the image, it reads, the bearer whose photograph and specimen of signature appear hereon has been duly registered in compliance with the provisions of Ordering Council PC-117. And then it has the registration date, which for this one is April 23rd, 1941. And below that is a stamp that reads Canadian born, and then the issuing officer's signature. So the the color that you were mentioning is sort of cream color white. So that they were specifically associated with the different categories that, that people were put under. Yes. So you, it's interesting that the Canadian-born were white, whereas Japanese nationals were yellow. <laughs> um, and then there was the other category of naturalized Canadian that were pink. Yes. Uh, what that what the pink means, I'm not sure. Hmm. But the other two seem to symbolize things. Yeah, pretty pretty explicitly. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I think is interesting is how they, they seem to have grommets and hole punches. Like they were supposed to be put in some kind of mini binder. Yeah. And I have, I don't know the answer. Every single one I've seen does have those grommets. And so Raymond was asking maybe there was copies that the police kept on, ha on file. And so that's why they do have that grommets. But I, I don't know the answer. If anybody does, let us know. On the back side, well, this one was for a Hisashi Yano. And it has the address. Well, in this case, it just says the town Wood Fiber, BC. And uh, it says the age. He was 31. Height, 5 foot 6. And weight. Well, the card's folded over in this case. Mm -hmm. so I can't tell. But uh, marks of identification. He has a scar beside his right eyebrow. And his occupation was a mill hand. So Wood Fiber was well known for its mill there. And uh, we previously spoke about uh, Tom Shoyama. And he worked there for a while. Uh, and then it has a signature underneath. And then there's this uh, big stamp that has the, the RCMP on there. So people would carry these things around. They had to carry them around for... Um, Until 1947, I think. Right. Or 1949. So it's amazing to me that, that these are still... People still had them enough to, to be able to put into the collection. Yeah. And, and I think there was a story of uh, Marika Omatsu mentioning how her father had one in his wallet by the time he had passed away. As, as really? Yeah, so he kept it with him all the time. Oh, wow. And I heard a story, I think it was from Midge's daughter, Midge Ayukawa, 
about how as soon as she didn't have to carry hers around anymore, uh, she tore it up. And then later in life, she became a history professor and she regretted that move because she realized that it was a piece of history. So of the 12 that we do have in the collection, I think it's interesting to know what people's occupations are. And every single woman has some sort of house or home in their occupation title. So we have four housewives, one houseworker, and one listed as at home. So I don't know if these are varying occupations or if they're the same one, just written in different ways. But I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have wanted to be a girl back then. It sounds really dull. Hmm. Well, I'm not going to make any judgment calls <laughs> on on what it was like back then. But it is interesting to think about this. Uh, well, even the the idea of having color coded things associated with racial stereotyping. Uh, well, even this act of uh, giving out the cards. Um, is an interesting one. And I, I actually went through a similar experience in Japan. When I lived there, I had to have an alien registration card and I had to have my picture and, and fingerprint on it. So th these ones have just the, the thumbprint. I remember going to the office, the local office where I was living in Japan and telling the other graduate students I was studying with. I was joking that, oh, maybe I'll have to get fingerprinted. But sure enough, <laughs> I had to get fingerprinted and, and have the, the photograph taken. Doesn't that, uh, when I went to Tokyo at the passport agent's office, like when you're going through customs or whatever, they make you put your hand on like a digital fingerprint and they take your photograph. Does that not happen to you when you go there? Oh, well, this was more like 20 ago? years ago. Okay. They they didn't have digital cameras back then. Okay. Well, I thought that was, that was, I was staying for four days. I thought that was pretty really? intense. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess they have all those high tech companies there. They, they <laughs> use it to the hill, but they had this fingerprint and that 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 was an interesting comment that one of the people i heard talk about when she went there she commented to her friend oh it's just like we're criminals but the officer said no not really <laughs> so i don't know whether that she considered that supportive or not but uh, it was interesting that take that it. he would say that yeah yeah so we're going to talk about why registration occurred and why it happened before pearl harbor and um, it was about, there was a committee called the Special Committee on Orientals that met in Vancouver and Victoria in October of 1940. So it included Japanese and it did Chinese, right? It was, oh, I don't know about Chinese. Yeah, did this it? description. Yeah, oh, so, Orientals, so yeah, when they said Orientals. Okay. I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, we would kind of refer to, we'd be referred to as Orientals, whereas nowadays usually say Asians. It's interesting how that... Well, Orientals is supposedly a negative... Well, I also heard that it can include the Middle East as well. Okay. So it might be... It's actually describing a, a bigger regional area. Yeah. I, I remember when I was in junior high school, we were learning the word Occidental. Yeah. And for some reason, the teacher asked me what the opposite of Occidental was. And I said... In Occidental. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, yes. Yeah, so anyway, this committee. This committee. Yeah. So oh, there right. was 57 witnesses, eight of which were from the Japanese Canadian community. The whole point of the committee was thought its duty lay in discovering the extent and causes of hostile feeling between white and Japanese populations. 
And this sort of was a follow-up as well to a uh, widespread belief in the number of illegal immigrants amongst mm-hmm. the, the Japanese community. So they had a, a review in 1938, which was examining how widespread it actually was, and then they decided it wasn't an issue. But the perception amongst the general public still seemed to be large, and this concern about negative feelings was was explored. And part of the committee included the Meade from the RCMP, who was later in the BC Security Commission. Yeah. And another part of the committee was to figure out whether the danger in the hostility was an internal security, like to worry about whether white people would riot against the Japanese, or whether it was a national threat, being that were there Japanese spies amongst the Canadians? Because Japan was rumored to be in cahoots with the Germans at this point, even though they hadn't started the war, but there was, they were just waiting for Japan to enter the war. And so the dislike and the mistrust of the Japanese was there, even though the committee found that there was no disloyalty or subversive activity within the community itself. And so they thought the best thing for the community to do was take a step to prove their loyalty. And based on the committee's recommendations, Prime Minister Mackenzie King decided to make registration compulsory for the community. And do you want to say something? Well, I was going to say, so the committee had started in 1940, in October, uh, and then they actually began the the registration process in, in the March of 1941. Yeah. So Pearl Harbor didn't happen until December, but they had already been registering these people. Yeah. So there, it was another, well, let's say nine months before Pearl Harbor happened, really. Is that right? So, uh, when the registration began, there was still nine months to go for Pearl Harbor. Right, and it's not like they were psychic. Um, no, they, they, but so that was part of the process, and the, and the Japanese Canadians had agreed to it as a show of good faith that the, it was it was still sort of voluntary. Yes, and it was after Pearl Harbor that it became mandatory for various people. Oh, is that how it went? I wasn't sure. It said compulsory in sometimes, and then voluntary in others. Yeah, so initially it was voluntary. Okay, I think. That makes sense. It was, it was that they Pearl had Harbor to make it voluntary rules. to get around the legal, because they couldn't technically yeah, force these people to, yeah. to force them to do it. Right. So they made it voluntary. And before King put it out there, he told the Japanese minister, Baron Tomi, about what he was about to do. And the Baron accepted it in a cordial way and didn't make any, he wasn't mad about it. He said, okay, that's fine. It's probably because they did similar things in Japan. I yeah, mean, I guess given, so. Given based, the fact that I had that saying, experience like, years yeah, later. Sure. And then the actual community itself, when they heard about this, it seemed to be a favorable one. And it was, they saw it as a necessary evil to quiet the public. You can feel the sentiment in the October article from the New Canadian, where the mayor of Vancouver is addressing uh, the Japanese Canadians at, well, I'll just read it to you. There is no use kidding ourselves. You're in a tight spot. So conduct yourselves in such a manner as to leave no question, no doubt regarding your loyalty. With these blunt, simple words, his worship, Mayor Telford, urged a crowd of young people gathered at the Nippon Club for the first fall meeting of the Vancouver chapter of the Japanese Canadian Citizens League to greater heights of good citizenship. And this was on the front page of the New Canadian. So this is touted as the the second generation newspaper right for the mm, japanese community. right yeah so it was this big thing like the set the feeling of the time i think was to prove that you were loyal to canada at any cost and if that meant you had to register then so be it it was a small yeah and i guess that's, that's sort of in keeping with the ones who tried to sign up 
to join the army yeah. as as proof. I mean, they had tried to do it in World War One, but it didn't really help the general population. Yeah. They, they, um, they still weren't allowed to vote by this time. But the, the registration, there was this one case that I heard about on the SEDI website where the, the limit was you had to be over 16 when they when they did this. And uh, this woman, Gloria, was living near Cumberland on the island, which had a lot of Japanese Canadians there. And she, at the time, was 15, but was going to be 16 later on. And and so initially she didn't have to register, but then later on she had to. So there were about 12 others who had just turned 16. And they went with uh, representatives of the community to Vancouver. So initially the RCMP had gone around to communities and registered people. Mm-hmm. And then um, so later on, these 12 had to go to Vancouver to get registered specifically. And so she had these details of, of what it was like to, to. And she remembered this, you know, like 60, 70 years later. She she remembered the number that she was issued. And, and so it's interesting how she described it because she considered the RCM officers RCMP officers were kind of cute in their uniforms. Their uniforms. <laughs> I guess that's a 15-year-old <laughs> brain right there. Yeah. yeah. So she had their names taken. They were measured and weighed. So she was the one I was mentioning before about being just like criminals. But uh, So the photographs were done there at the RCMP. And apparently it took half an hour or something to develop. Does that seem okay. reasonable? You did photography. Was if that... you're doing a batch, yeah. 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 So so um they had to wait for that to happen and then they would have the um, materials issued. Apparently her mother said later on that her picture looked like she was about to cry. And she said, well, she had nothing to smile about. Hmm. So she still remembered her, her number and, and she hated it and wanted to tear up the card, but figure she had no choice uh so on every document every letter she wrote she had to have this number down. Wow. so she had to, had to memorize it later on um when she was in new denver she had she was taking a correspondence course and when they were doing the exams um in, an, in another place called silverton they had to uh write they were asked to write down the number actually of the desk that they were sitting at for registration but she had this number memorized up from her registration card mm-hmm. and automatically wrote that number down and after she left she realized she had made a mistake and had to go in and correct it but it's just <laughs> an example of how how embedded this this the became. number was yeah. yeah yeah and the idea of becoming a number yeah well i have a quote too from mary haraga talking about when she was turned 16 how she had to be registered and her quote is I celebrated my sweet sweet 16th birthday by reporting to the RCMP office. There I was fingerprinted, photographed, and issued an alien registration number. My card bore the stamp, Canadian born. It was a confusing time. For me, the worst part was being declared an enemy alien by my own country. I was a patriotic Canadian, and I had the face of the enemy. It was the first time in my life that I had felt rejected. Hmm. Where was she? I don't know. It's just a quote. Well, it's just the, the perception... Uh, of that sort of seems to vary where they were living. If they were living in an area where there were a lot of other Japanese Canadians, yeah, and, um, more of a mixed community. So I just wanted to cast the light on the U.S. to see what the U.S. was doing in comparison to Canada at the time about registration. And so in 1940, FDR transferred the Immigration and Naturalization Service from the Labor Department to the Justice Department to increase security, and the Smith Act was signed. It required registration by all aliens. The result was a master list held by the Justice Department, and it was known as the ABC list. And A stood for immediate danger, B potentially dangerous, and C possible Japanese sympathizer. The list was confined to Issei, as well as Germans and Italian aliens. 
and the list was based on positions held by people rather than any actions they took. So someone like single out the priest thinking they might be the right. most likely to revolt or yeah. so it was the same the Americans were doing like compiling a list that way. And, and it was only for Issei. And in Canada the first people they rounded up were the heads of schools and churches and things. So like that. same similar, yeah. but yeah. they ours was more encompassing. But it also did not include the Italians or the Germans. So we, Here. they never had to register in Canada. Uh -huh. So it was this, it does seem quite racist if you look at it that way, that only the Japanese needed to be registered. Right. So in the States, they were making the argument they were enemy aliens. Yeah. And it was uh, anybody from like the Axis, right. basically. Right. But in Canada, it was the Japanese were singled out. Specifically. Yeah. And for protesting, there was very little protesting. I did read somewhere that the JCCL, which is the Japanese Canadian Citizens League, sent a telegram to King protesting the registration as discriminatory, but nothing came from the result. Hmm. So then we'll just talk about how the registration began. It started on March 4th, 1941 and completed the job at the end of August. Everyone over the age of 16 had to register, which came to be about 14,700 people, and the details about the 8,300 people who were under 16 were recorded by the RCMP through the children's parents. So this was the Registrar of Enemy Aliens. Yeah, I'm not sure how that... Is that how it worked? I saw that, and I saw that it was the, also that was the RCMP. Yeah. So I don't know... Are they the same body, or did one happen after Pearl Harbor? Yeah, it seems like the register was set up after the Pearl Harbor. Which makes later. sense. Mm -hmm. So when people would come to the registration office, they were required to produce birth or naturalization certificates, national registration cards, passports, or any other documents that proved their status in Canada. And I looked up on the New Canadian to see how people were feeling about this situation, and in the March, so this started on March 4th, and in the March 7th edition of the New Canadian, there were two articles on the front page of the newspaper, and I'll just read them to you as follows. With Royal Canadian Mounted Police familiarizing themselves with routine details in registration, headquarters on West Hastings Street, the establishment of sub-offices more conveniently located near the Japanese community is expected early next week in order to facilitate registration. Inspector McGibbon and Sergeant Barnes, in charge of registration, said also that other offices will be opened in other centres and travelling units set up, although no formal schedule has yet been drawn up. Cooperation of organisations and leaders in other centres, however, will be sought to make registration efficient and keep expenses down. Registration in the city was underway early Tuesday morning, with a number of residents from the West End assembling at the office even before opening time. Officers have been kept busy by a steady stream of people who kept the waiting line quite filled. And on duty were three constables who had been to Japan and so served as interpreters to the Issei hmm. there. And then there was one other thing on the second article. I, there was just an interesting excerpt. Officers, by the way, are good enough to clean the ink off your thumb with a special cleaning fluid. In general, the public has been much impressed by the efficiency of the registration as well as the unfailing courtesy of registering officers. So it kind of speaks to that one about the how she said, I feel like mm. a criminal, and he was saying... Right, yeah. Not yeah, really. It's consistent. 
Well, and I guess the editor of the New Canadian, Tom Shoyama, I think he was there at the time because he was part of that committee as well. The initial committee yeah. that accepted the idea of it. And he seemed to be promoting the idea of cooperation. And it's interesting because the New Canadian was more the, the Nisei who considered themselves Canadian, that perspective Potentially, they could have been more outraged. It would be interesting to make a comparison with the Japanese-based newspapers. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, the people who were Issei. And we talked before about the POW camps, how, how they were still considering themselves part of Japan. But so, there were Issei on that committee as well. Yeah. As yeah. And, and it seems like Etsuji Mori was endorsing the Issei kind of go along with it so that maybe the rest of the community would be okay because initially it seemed like the sense was yeah the take away the e-save and then everybody else should be fine yeah i could see that so after the registration was complete each person was required to carry the card with them at all times and if you were found without your card you received a fine afterwards if you ever dealt with a police or government official they would ask name and serial number which goes very well with what you were saying about the 16 year old had to register Mm-hmm. In the book Years of Sorry, he recounts being stopped by a policeman while driving, and he handed the police officer his driver's license, and the police officer was like, no, I want your registration card. Like, he didn't even seem to care about his hmm. driver's license, which is crazy. And then another interesting thing was all Japanese nationals had to report to the RCMP on a monthly basis, which I didn't really know hmm. about. And I guess... I find it strange that there was... Well, I guess I don't know what the point of this was. If it was... It was like they were able to get a sense of the the Japanese community's population, right? Like it created a census of sorts by Mm -hmm. forcing people to register. Right. But I don't know what they, if they were searching, like if for them doing this and forcing like Japanese nationals to come in on a monthly basis would push down the idea or dig out uh, Japanese spies. I don't know if that was the goal. Yeah, it's like spies are going to go along with it. <laughs> yeah, I know. They'll yeah, probably provide like, a fake thing. Yeah. But uh, Roy Ito, in, in his uh, Stories of My People, he mentioned one time when he was, uh, some of his friends were going off to road camp, and they were at the train station, the CPR station, and then they were all approached by men in uniform and had to present their card. And so I guess they were looking for people who hadn't registered. So people who were not doing what they're supposed to. And then later on, Roito did join the army as, as a translator. And so he had his registration card replaced by military ID. So then oh. he, he had a different status. So I wonder if he would have gotten flack from someone, though, if, if he was out in, like, civilian clothes and showed his... Well, so there was a, a point uh, where he was traveling through Nelson and, and a Mountie had asked him for his card. I think this was before he got the military card, though. And okay. then, then later on, I think when he was discharged from the army, he was supposed to, at that time, it was still in effect. So he was supposed to replace it with the the registration card again, but then they didn't bother following up on that so by then they had more relaxed it because it was still after the war right? okay yeah i mean the fact that they had to keep them till well after the war when there was no threat speaks to what its purpose actually was which wasn't this idea of weeding out spies. yeah it, those kind of situations sort of reveal the 
underlying motivation. Mm -hmm. There's this kind of double speak of, of why you do something versus really why you do something. Yeah. The woman, Gloria, that I mentioned before in, in 1946, she had moved to Toronto and gotten a job doing housework in a house. And apparently when they were leaving the ghost town, they had a, a check of $40 to help them get started somewhere else. So finally she went to the bank and was going to cash it in, but she didn't have any other ID at that point. And even though she didn't like the registration card, she had it in her purse. She was looking for something else. Uh, and the teller noticed the registration card and said, oh, let me have a look at that. And she was trying to hide it. She, she was sort of embarrassed by, mm. by that point. And the teller, so this was in, in Toronto, said, oh, so you're Japanese-Canadian. Uh, I heard they did terrible things to you in BC, but you're in Toronto now, so you'll be okay. So it's interesting that wow. they explicitly said that and then gave her the money and shook her hand and said, welcome to Mimico. This is the part where she was staying. So it was the last time that this woman, Gloria, uh, had to deal with the card. Uh, but she said she at least had a reason to smile then. Yeah. Wow. So that's all I really have to say about registration cards. Mm -hmm. They're little time capsules, I feel. They're very poignant because you can really feel the person when you hold them because there's so much concentrated information, especially for me, the picture and the thumbprint. Like you can really feel the presence of someone when mm -hmm. you're looking at them. And, and their signature. You know, signature can be interesting. As yeah, well. that's true. That's true. I don't know. There's something with thumbprints. Does it for me? <laughs> have you have you been fingerprinted? Have you ever done it? Not. Oh yes, I have. I had to because I had to get secret clearance for the government. Oh, so you have to yeah, hand yeah. over yeah. your. Yeah, I've had to do that here as well. They have to do all your fingerprints then, instead of just your thumb. Yeah, they did everything, and it's quite nice. <laughs> the feeling of it. <laughs> I guess since it's a voluntary situation, then. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit worried that I was giving up something. Yeah. But you knew you're going to be making money from the government then. So yes. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all I have for registration cards.